Brother Derek Getty, and um, they have a Filipino church. And I mean 97% Filipinos. And I'm telling you what, they have a tremendous church, but they're going through a trial. Uh, one of the assistant pastors decided he didn't like being under the authority of his pastor. And so he went to the other side of town and, and took a lot of the church with him. And so Brother Getty was really devastated. And uh, I hope that I could encourage him or encourage him. But they have unusual Sunday school and church. And then Miss Connie taught the ladies and I taught the men on how to prevent an emotional affair. And then uh, we preached. And then as soon as we preached, we, we went, to, went to lunch. They had all this Filipino food. And they asked me to eat all this salmon and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, I overdid it trying to please everybody. It's my obligation, amen, just to eat everything that's put before you. This one lady brought a whole salmon, and he was smiling at me, just put it right in front of me. I said, you want me to eat that? I said, okay, I'll try. I ate about half of it, and um, it was good. It was really good, and then uh, at uh, 2 o'clock, I preached on Bring the Holy Spirit Home, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of families came forward to rededicate their marriage. So I wanted to give that report that uh, Brother Getty is doing a great job in Vancouver, Canada. So I felt like I was on a mission trip and then uh, ran into that missionary church. But on the second church that we preached at, and uh, preaching is like a vacation to me. Some people think I'm crazy preaching on my vacation, but uh, I live to preach. And so um, the glaciers are fine and the, the views are fine, but just see God's people and the recreation there, it's wonderful. I mean, it's just wonderful. And um, anyway, I was minding my own business trying to find my Sunday school class at 10 o'clock. They already had it at 8.30 service, but uh, I stayed home and watched uh, one of my favorite preachers preach, Brother Jason, did a fine job, and so I had an early service too, and I told him, I said, I ain't coming to early service, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be at Whitfield Baptist Church by way of internet, and so they understood, but I went to Sunday school, and they saw, saw me and Miss Connie, and they put me in the RU class, and I thought, I said, I was jokingly, I said, boy, we must look rough, because RU is Reformers Unanimous, that's for ex-drug addicts, amen? People and they put us in that class, and I said, Thank God, you know, they wanted us to see the ministry. And they meet every Friday, serve them supper, and then they require them to come on Sunday. And they just have great lessons, uh, more better than any alcoholic anonymous. They ain't no higher power, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that's the higher power, amen. But tremendous. And this guy got up, and I wanted to show you, he led scriptural singing for those addicts, those ex addicts. Uh, those have been born again, and um, not making fun of them at all. It's only by the grace of God that I'm not an addict, uh, a drunk like my daddy was. And uh, so we're sitting in that class, just having a good time, and all of a sudden he got up and he started leading the song, the scripture song. And I wanted to play the video, and then I want to turn to Psalms 27.4 because the verse goes with my message. And I don't want to do this this early because I know I'm going to really crucify it, but uh, maybe we can hear how it goes in the video hopefully, and, uh, and it's, it's the second song he sings, so we'll just hear the ending of the first song. So play it and see if we can hear it, but turn to Psalms 27.4, and this is a great way to memorize scripture. I'm trying to hide the camera. Turn it up. That's another scripture. He's going to finish that. That's Miss Connie taking notes. Amen. Or forget that tune. 
Here's the one I want to sing. Psalms 27, verse 4. Three times. Behold the beauty of the Lord. Behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire, inquiring this temple. Sing it with him. I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Behold the beauty of the Lord. Behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire, inquire in his temple. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll try that later. I'm really afraid to try it without him singing it. Amen. Brother Randy would try anything. He'd do it. You want to try it, Brother Randy? Okay. He almost would try everything. But isn't that beautiful? That is scripture put to music. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want to memorize scripture, sing it. And so we're going to do some of that. I'm not saying every service. We're not trying to copy anybody. But if I copied anybody, if it's not scriptural, it's not spiritual. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. That touches my heart a whole lot more than going to a church with rock and roll music. And some whirly tune with, a, with, a, with scripture, even, even, even a good song. It's just the wrong vehicle. It's like putting scripture on a beer can. It's wrong. It's wrong to mix God's word with the world's music. Amen. So wasn't that a blessing? Now I want to tell you this. That pastor's been there 43 years. Took the church and run about 15. And every service he gets caught up in leading singing. He does it himself those scriptural songs. And he'll do five or six before he ever preaches any message. And it's just amazing. And if you want to go and hear it online, I'll get Brother Randy maybe look at it. Maybe he can lead us in some of them. And some of the guitar players can pick it out, Brother Pete, and uh, or piano players or orchestra, and we'll sing some of those to the glory of God. And I guarantee if we sing one a week for a month, we'll have it memorized. I believe that's powerful. Amen? I think that's powerful. I think if it's scriptural, it's spiritual. If it's not scriptural, it's not spiritual. And a lot of people will think it's dead music, but it's alive music because it's the Word of God. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, be faithful. To behold what? The beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. What a powerful verse. What a powerful verse. Now turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That's going to be the background for our message. And that's why I played that. And thank you, Brother Cody and Brother Joel, for making that possible because I had no idea how to put it on our PA. And you did a good job. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's stand on the Word of God. The Bible says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. There it is. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear 
than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou art upon earth. That puts us in our place. Therefore, let the words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of busyness, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto the Lord, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it, it was an error, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy our work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities. But here's the bottom line, but fear thou God. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in the providence, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth and there be higher than they. I think that goes right along with this Supreme Court junk. I'll get to that in just a minute. It says, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the fields. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase that is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that are eaten. Them and what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Amen. Whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. He begotteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. And as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to, to go as he came, shall have, take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as it came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for he is, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth and, and hath given him power to the eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. He shall not much remember the days of his life because God answered him in the joy of his heart. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter of how to face life's problems and how to guard our steps day by day and even more than that, step by step. So Lord, help us as we study Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that it might help us to put up our guard against the things that's happening even in our very United States of America. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd not be dismayed or discouraged by all the iniquity and all the things that are going on, but God, that we realize that you're our portion. And God, that you're our reason for labor. And God, you're the reason to live. And God, nothing should take 
your preeminence. And Lord, I pray that we'd never put anything or anyone before you. So Lord, help us to learn this lesson on how to face life's problems through Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see, first of all, that, folks, there's a phrase in verse um, uh, 13. It says, But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a, as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Then you go back up to uh, uh, the verses, or excuse me, uh, in, in verse, uh, excuse me, I was in the wrong chapter. I still got jet lag. Verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 5. For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. Amen. Fear the Lord. Fearing God means see this world through God's eyes. Fearing God means see the end of sin before you get there. The fear of God is knowing that God knows and living for His pleasure and not your own pleasure. But look at verse 16 where we get the title tonight. The Bible says, And this also is a sore evil that in all points as He came, so shall he go, and what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? Labored for the wind. I call it chasing after the wind. And folks, I want to tell you something. We're, we're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God and to worship his holy name. I'm glad to see visitors here tonight. You didn't get around to shake everybody's hands, but I appreciate the good number of visitors we had the last couple of Sundays, and especially those that are hurting and those that's had some Real tragedies, they come back to the house of God wanting help. And this is the place to get help. Sunday night after I preached on a message my wife's probably heard a hundred times on uh, the danger of leaving your first love, he set up the microphones at 8 o'clock. They started having testimonies at 8 o'clock. I said, my goodness, they're really not in a hurry. He's really right. I quit at 8 o'clock. They, they want to stay. We started at 6, not 7, 6. And this one guy got up and said, I just want to apologize to the whole church. I just got out of jail. I slipped into drinking again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And everybody started hugging his neck and crying over him and praying for him and rejoicing that a, a prodigal had come home. And that's what a church ought to do, amen, is uh, to help people that are that fallen. And, and folks, they, you know, some people chase the wind. They just chase the wind. They're laboring for nothing. And they're just all wrapped up in this world. And I want to show you how to face life's problems through these scriptures. First of all, in verses 1 through 7, we need to guard against false and sincere worship. I want to tell you something, friend. This is more important than you think it is. And Sunday morning is more important than you think it is. And Sunday night's more important than you think it is. And every morning is more important than you think it is to have a worship time. I'm talking about a time with God. I'm talking about quiet time, but it couldn't be a shouting time. I'm talking about a crying time. It can be a, just a, a very silent time, but it's a time with God. To steal away from God. <clears throat> I mean, get in your prayer closet. It always reminds me of, of Deborah Newman that uh, was missing. Her husband called me and said, I can't find my wife. I said, what do you want me to do about it, Greg? He said, I, I just want you to pray. I said, okay, that's good. I thought he wanted me to go out and look for it. I was going to. And he found her after about 45 minutes of searching. No, it was probably about two hours of searching. She was in the closet praying. She took my message the Sunday night before, literal, that you ought to get in the closet. Now, folks, that doesn't mean you get in a closet with the brooms and, the, and, and some closets in y'all's house y'all couldn't get in. And if you got in, you couldn't get out. Say amen. 
So you be at an elbow in your wife. You better hush, boy. You're going to get in trouble. Uh, thank God you got a closet. Amen. Thank God you got something in it. But folks, that means close out. Get away from the world. So point number one, Brother Cody, is that we need to guard against false and insincere, insincere worship. Look at verse one. It says, keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of God. That means you need to keep your um, standing and your standard and your stability based on God. Look at this. It says, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not they that do evil. So we need to draw near to God, and how you draw near to God is you listen to God. And folks, when the Word of God is preached, and I preach that passage about David sinning, the sin of, of uh, omission and not being in the leadership of his army and staying home and lusting after Bathsheba and then getting uh, Uriah drunk and then having him killed. That's a man after God's own heart. So don't say you can't backslide. If David can backslide, you can backslide. If the children of Israel can backslide, you can backslide. And folks, I want to tell you, Peter can backslide, so can you. Folks, I want you to know pride comes for a fall and we need to draw near to God and hear His Word because we need it. And I want to say this, friend, you need it more than you think you need it and we need it more every day because the world's getting worse. I couldn't believe all the news I had to catch up on. I got in at 5 o'clock last night after traveling. Uh, we left uh, and lost three hours somewhere. I don't know where in the world. Four hours. Good night. And um, it seemed like we was in a plane forever and we just came from Alaska. And folks, I had to get caught up on the news and I could not believe what was going on. That they would put the standard of a Supreme Court judge higher than a preacher. Because I want to tell you something. You searched my life when I was a teenager before I got saved or got right with God, I wouldn't be qualified to preach, preach in this church. But thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for His mercy. Say amen. I think it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen that our country is, is so divided and so caustic and and embarrassing people, and, and I believe every woman ought to have their day in court, and, and et cetera, and thank God if it's, if it's true. But I want to tell you something. Folks, you bring something up what a 16-year-old did in his day of youth, uh, we're in trouble, and every one of us would be in trouble. You that ca Listen, you that are without fault cast the first stone. And so, folks, I want to tell you something. We live in a day of judgment and judgmental people. And I'm not basing on government or the Supreme Court. I got the Supreme Judge of Judges over my life. And I thank God for this church. And we ought to stay unified with this church. We don't bring up political things. But it's not political, it's moral. That folks, we need to love each other and forgive each other. And folks, listen, we need to uh, consider what's best for our nation. On Wednesday, Tuesday, this is Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, uh, the church was... Uh, picking an abortion clinic that I was in Sunday night. And I wanted to be there so bad, but I had to get ready and get on a plane. And, and, and he said that the abortion doctor was interviewed by the news and said, does it bother you that Bible Baptist Church in Fair, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska has come and picking in you at once a month on the first, on the first uh, Tuesday, Monday afternoon? He says, no, that doesn't bother me. She said, but I'll tell you what the nurse said, or the doctor, I think she was a female doctor, God help her, killing babies, said, uh, what bothers me is when they start praying. What bothers me is when they start praying. And folks, I want to tell you something. The world doesn't, doesn't care about your political views, and the world doesn't care about your 
uh, protest, and I think we ought to protest iniquity and, and injustice, but folks, the world should fear your prayers. If you've got a prayer life, you ought to pray for our nation today. You ought to pray for God to help us as a nation to get back to God and not kill babies and not have same-sex marriages and all the things that all of you think is okay or I'm okay and none of you do, I hope. But praise God, friend, the Bible says it's sin and it's abomination and it makes God sick. Every baby has a right to live. Saw the new baby back there. He's already been here more than I have in the last couple of weeks. Braxton, that's it, amen, Braxton. Glad he's in the house of God. It's the only place a, a new baby ought to be in, the house of God, raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, but thank God somebody gave him a chance to live, amen? And folks, we need to pray for our nation, and it goes right along with the, the next verse. It says, be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. We need to not be foolish and have mindless worship and have a lot of things that we say when we come to the house of God. We need to listen more than we say, unless you're the preacher. And I think the preacher ought to listen to the messages too. Be not rash and careless in your speech, verse 1 and 2. In prayers, don't be rash in your prayers. In your commitments, in your teaching, teach the Word of God. Fulfill the Word of God. And then I want you to notice verse 3. It says, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. Folks, some people try to out-talk God. You need to listen to God. You don't need to argue with God. And then when God lays on your heart, you need to prayerfully make a vow before God. You need to make a vow because, folks, the Christian life is a vow. When you got saved, you gave your life to Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus. That's a holy vow. Folks, when you got married, you made a vow to God. Amen. And I want to tell you something. Vows are important, and it's better not to make a vow than to break it. But then again, it's also not good to play it safe and never give the faith promise and never give a vow to, for missions. I've had missionaries call me all day today, and I said, man, we'd like to have you, and we'll try to work you in next year. Uh, but I want to tell you something, friend. We need to not delay in, in fulfilling the vow that God's given us because it's sin. Look at verse 4. It says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he that hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou vowed. Have you ever promised God something and didn't do it? I want to tell you something. It's a dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing to vow to God. You say, I'll be, I'll be faithful. You said, I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop doing whatever. Then you go back on that vow. Folks, listen, it, it displeases God. It's better to say nothing to make an empty promise. And so Ecclesiastes is saying, first of all, if you want to overcome your problems and, and the poverty and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the political system that's going on that he was part of, stop going into the house of God and rambling with empty promises because it's sin. He said, be, be sure that you realize God knows your heart. Look at verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth. No, listen. Better is he that should not vow than to, that should vow and not pay. Then it goes on to say, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was a, an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hand? 
But here's the bottom line, verse 7. And I'm going to tell you something. Solomon learned this the hard way. He said, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. I believe that we need to listen as this is God's word. I don't care who's preaching. Every one of the preachers did a wonderful job, I'm sure. It's not based on man. It's based on God's word. No matter who preaches, no matter how it's preached. But I want to say this, friend. It's an awesome responsibility to listen to God's word and then to respond and vow to God, some holy vows to God. If you say you're going to be faithful, you ought to be faithful. If you say you're going to be a Christian that magnifies and glorifies God, you ought to magnify and glorify God. It is amazing to me that people that come to church and don't listen. I mean, they'd rather fellowship or talk or text. God, help you. I've got eagle eyes too. I might not have much, uh, uh, I might not be uh, uh, nothing but a bald eagle, but I'm going to tell you this, friend. I can see everybody that pulls out their phone for some reason. I wish I couldn't see it. And I'm seeing them there, you know, somebody likes something on Facebook and they're going to respond in the middle of a message. God, help you. I hope and pray God doesn't judge you at the judgment seat of Christ with all the posting you did on Facebook in the house of God. Or text. I'm going to tell you something. In my day, we didn't even have uh, uh, cell phones. We had pagers. And somebody would beep us. And we had to stop at a thing that you've never seen, uh, the younger generation never seen. We stopped at a phone booth. And we called the phone booth number on the pager. And we thought we were something. We thought we was high tech. Praise God. I got a pager. I'll never forget the first pager I got. I thought I was something else, man. Pray. I put it on my belt so everybody could see it. Pager. Praise God. Then after I got it, I wish I hadn't, ha- hadn't got it. Amen. Everybody in the church was paging me. Amen. And I was stopping at every phone booth. I said, would you pray for my ankle? It's itching. No. You know, and uh, I said, thank God, you know, for a pager. But I want to tell you something, friend. It's better... It's better to listen to God and stand in awe of God. You don't need no pager. You don't need no high-tech technology. You don't even need this overhead projector here or whatever it's called. What you need is to hear God's word. You need to hear God's heart. And you need to realize that God's word is God's word. You ought to stand in awe of it. Turn to Psalms 119, verse 160. Psalms 119, 160. Longest chapter in the Bible is about the Bible, 176 verses. We'll sing some of these verses, amen? It's wonderful. But look at verse um, 165. We'll go back to 160. It says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That means there. You know, the Bible says in 162, I rejoice that thy word is one that findeth great spoil. But I like 161. I know I'm going backwards, but I am backwards sometimes. It says, Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. How many times have we flippantly worshipped? How many times we didn't bring our Bible to the house of God? I'll tell you one thing I liked Sunday night and Sunday morning, and I couldn't believe he did this. He said, how many of you need a real Bible? I said, praise God, I got a real Bible. He, and he said, I mean the King James Bible. 
Raise your hand. About that time, all the ushers came down with the stacks of Bibles, hard hardback Bibles, saying, we're going to give you a Bible if you don't have a real Bible. Now, half of Americans down here in the South would walk out of the church right then. But these Alaskans said, yeah, give me a real Bible. Amen. And then they said, if you promise to read it every day, we'll give you that Bible. If you don't promise to read it every day, we're taking it back. And at the end of the service, here goes the ushers. Some didn't want to make the promise. They were handing those hardback Bibles. I said, glory to God for a preacher that believes the Word of God. Amen. And so, folks, listen. We need to guard our worship. Listen. When you don't listen... Two people behind you don't listen. Say amen. Hey, when you, when you can care less about the message, it catches by your attitude. Say amen right there, you Georgia Bulldog fans. You don't sit there poochy-lipped during the whole thing. You don't sit there criticizing the coach. Yeah, some of you do. Coach the whole time. What do you do? You're enthusiastic. Come on, Scott. Get right with God. Amen. Praise God. You get enthusiastic, you call it a fan, it's an ardent follower. Now, I don't need to bring up uh, sports, but I want to tell you something, friend. This is not just a game. This is, this is worship. And I want to say this, everybody that worships is changed. You meet God, and he changes you. Moses covered his face so the shine would not uh, dissipate so soon. Didn't he shine? When uh, the three were on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter wanted to have a building program, build three altars. And the Lord said, hey, listen, we're here to worship. And they saw the glory of God. When's the last time you've seen the glory of God through the Word of God? Then I want you to see, second of all, guard against oppression and injustice that you see others do. And this brings me to America. And I can't even watch the news, it's so bad. It makes, it makes me mad. It makes me sad. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, if thou seest the oppression of the poor and, and violent perverting of judgment and justice into providence, let's say in the United States of America, marvel not at that matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there, is, there be higher than they. Praise God. Look at verse 8, 9. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all, and the king himself is served by the field. Because each level of government is corrupt compared to the only wise God the righteous God, the almighty God. And folks, they seek to squeeze a little more revenue out of people. I was amazed. I almost moved to Alaska when I found this out. There's no taxes in Alaska. And every year they don't pay taxes, they get paid. $1,600 for the oil that they're, they're having. Everybody in the whole nation, whole country gets a cut. It's been as high as $2,200. I said, glory to God. They pay people to live there. And they'd have to pay me to live there because it's 40 below zero about six months out of the year. I thought we'd have cool weather when I come back, but I found out this is still summer down here. We, but folks, listen. Listen. It's a corrupt society we live in. Everybody wants something. And everybody wants this cut. And it's all about money. Why does, why does abortionists don't want to go out of business? It's money. It's money. Why does people want to get elected? Money. It's a, it's a money-crazy world. And folks, we shouldn't get caught up in that corrupt society. Look at verse uh, uh, 8, uh, 9. It says, Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all, and the king himself is served by the field. Well, it's because the ruler himself, the king of kings, the lord of lords, stands uh, much higher than this corrupt society. 
So listen, friend, don't, don't, don't wring your hands and say, oh, what are we going to do? Because I want to tell you something. The Supreme Court of all mankind is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring truth. He's going to have his way if we'll just get out of the way and let him rule. And folks, we ought to worship God and we should not wilt in this world because of the political corruption and pains and agony and dis, disarray that's going on even in the greatest nation of, Amer- of, of the world, America. Guard against oppression. Guard against in, injustice. Don't be a part of it. And then number three, guard against covetousness. Guard against covetousness. Look at verse 10. It says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, or he that loveth abundance with the... Uh, with the increase, this is also vanity. That means empty. Because the love of money creates an insatiable appetite, it never satisfies the human heart. It's all right to have money as long as money doesn't have you. The root of all evil is not money. I think you ought to have as much as you can get that you can give to missions and give to others. But folks, it's the love of money. If you live just to make money, I feel sorry for you. If you live just to get rich, I feel sorry for you. What you need to do is ask God to meet your needs and to use you to meet the needs of a lost and dying world that needs to hear the gospel. Missions. It's not the program. I'm glad what you said Sunday night, Brother Darrell. It's not a program. It's the program of the church. It's not even a program. It's a ministry. Missions is the heart of God. And folks, if we just want to build little buildings around here and, and build ourselves up and make ourselves more comfortable, then we're not in a church, we're in a club. And we need to be in a clinic. We need to get our heart right with God. And so folks, listen, we need to guard against covetousness because wealth attracts others who want it, like family, friends, even thieves. Look at verse 11. It says, when goods increase, they increase that eat them. What good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Don't put anything or anyone before God, or it could become your God. And if they become your God, beware, God knows how to humble your God. You put anything or anyone before God, that means all your energy and all your money and all your thoughts, and all your cares, and all your priorities go into anything or anyone besides God, it's idolatry. We need to realize that. Folks, we need to realize most of all that God of this world wants to deceive you into thinking that if you'll get rich, you'll be satisfied. But I know a lot of people that are very rich, but very sad. I know a lot, how many of you know people like that? They're very rich, but they're very, very distraught because they can't buy their family, and they can't buy love. And there's a lot of people that live for just the riches of this world. And folks, because wealth hoarded will not benefit beyond you admiring it. Look at verse 11. It says, when goods increase, they're increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? So yeah, I can just brag I'm rich. I can have things. I can show off and 
drive my Lamborghini or whatever it is. And uh, my, you know, uh, used to be Cadillac in my days. Boy, if you drove a Cadillac, you were rich. Amen. Praise God. Now you can get a good used one. But I'm going to say this. Listen, friend, God help us if we worship things and not worship God. And Solomon was one of the richest men that ever walked this earth. And he could say it's vanities and vexation of spirit. It's all emptiness. Watch your worship. Watch your worship. And watch you wilting because of society and the kings are so corrupt. He says, if you labor, you'll sleep well. Look at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether you eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will suffer him to sleep. I believe if you work hard, you'll sleep good. Amen. I believe that. Amen. Or travel all night like I did last night. Folks, listen. Because wealth does not bring true peace of mind. The rich, covetous people that never satisfied, they worry instead of sleep. They worry if they're going to keep what they get. And they worry how they can get more. Isn't it amazing that some people are just filthy rich or they're purely rich, but they're never satisfied. The more they get, the more they want. And they'll step on everybody on their way up the ladder. Don't get caught in that trap, he's saying, because wealth does not bring security. Look at verse 13. There's a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. That means the worldly perspective. Namely, riches kept from the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he, he begotteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. You know what that's saying? Some people are so rich, they lose it all, and they don't even leave an inheritance for their children. And folks, listen, because the wealth does not bring security. You cannot buy peace. You cannot buy happiness. You need to cherish the things money cannot buy, like the presence of God and pleasing God and worshiping God and glorifying God and having a happy home and having a trustable wife and a trustable husband. Having children that glorify God and praise His name. You cannot buy that. And the more you try to buy it and spoil them, the worse they'll get. You need to give them Jesus. And you need to give them the discipline of a disciplined life by putting God first, is what Solomon said. He lost it all. He's in his old age uh, writing this book of Ecclesiastes and said, I've learned the hard way, buddy. I've learned the hard way. Wealth can not be taken at death. Look at verse 15. Never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse yet. Verse 15 says this. As it came forth of the mother's womb, naked shall return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. He said, I came in naked, came in empty, and I'm going out empty. You can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead by investing in missions. You can send it ahead by, by putting God first. And I'll tell you what, when you put God first and when a church puts God first, God takes care of that church. Have you found that to be true? Seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You need to be a giver and stop living for yourself and live for His glory and realize that if you'll invest in God's glory, you will be happy because, folks, verse 16 says it this way, and this also is sore evil, that in all points as He came, so shall He go. What profit shall he that laboreth for the wind? Sad and grievous fact that you're laboring for nothing if that's what you're laboring for, to get rich. Nothing fully satisfies. Nothing 
endures. Nothing lasts except God's glory. Now let me close, and I want to show you verse 18 through 20. Guard the wonderful gift of God, and that is life. Life's a gift. Life's a gift. I mean, every breath is an individual blessing from God. Let me just say this. Every heartbeat is a blessing from God. When I was flying all those miles this week in that plane, and I said, man, if this thing goes down, we ain't going to make it. I don't know why I had that thought. But I know I'll go to heaven if it goes down. And I thought every time I landed, I was, I was thankful. I wasn't fearful. I was never, never afraid to fly. Some people are afraid to get a boat. That's really, that's really something, amen? I mean, they got lifeboats on the thing, praise God. I guess you think you're on the Titanic when you go on a cruise. I don't know. But I'll say this. I want to say this, friend. Your life's in God's hand. And you're immortal in God's will until God's finished with you. But if you're out of God's will, there is a sin and a death. I've told this, and I've told it to the very fellow that wrote me today. I said, I want to tell you something. If you keep on sinning, God's going to take you out of here. That wasn't you, so that wasn't very encouraging. Yeah, I'm trying to encourage him of the truth that whom the Lord loveth, he scourged and chased every son. If you say you're saved, you best live for God and put him first. Amen? And you'll live long, and the life you have will be worth living. The life of abundancy. You need to live day by day. Look at verse 17. I'll close. It says, All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he that shall sorrow and wrath with his sickness. If you labor with the wind, all your days will be unfulfilled. You find satisfaction because God gives you a few days to live, a few years to live. And God gives you work, and that's a gift. Look at verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. How about that? You know, this generation come up, they hate work. You ought to love work. You ought to love that you can work. You ought to love that you have a job. Praise God. Stop fussing and complaining about it and thank God that you have some place that you can work and provide for your family and support missionaries and support your church and support God's kingdom through your hard work. What is work? What is an hour? It's time minute. You get a salary. It's time minute. You're just giving your time back to God. It's, it's His work. It's, it's a God-given task. Whatever you do, you ought to do it for the glory of God. And you ought to be the best employee on that place if you call yourself a Christian. Especially if you call yourself a Whitfield Baptist church member. You better not be a slothful, sorry, come in 15 minutes late worker. Man, show up on time. Leave on time. I know you're going to leave on time. <laughs> you just count the moments. Everybody's looking forward to retirement. Don't, don't, the next thing's death. Don't look forward to that. Amen. That's so why a lot of people don't go to the glory class. They know the next class is heaven. Amen. My mother, God bless her, she said, you know, the only thing I don't like about that old ladies class I'm a member of is that, that the next class is heaven. <laughs> I said, Mama, what do you mean by that? She said, well, it's the oldest class in the, in, the, in the place. So all you ladies are in that old class. Just thank God for the next class. Amen. Praise God. Made you all mad now. Amen. But anyway, older ladies, I didn't mean to say old. You ought to enjoy whatever wealth and possession God gives you. Look at verse 18. It says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor. The 
taketh unto the Son all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. God's given you what you got. So stop complaining about it. Amen? One time Brother Jimmy Clark preached a message, a whole message on complaining. I got more out of that message than any message he ever preached. And I thought that was the craziest title I've ever heard in my life. The sin of complaining. How many ever complained before? Don't raise your hand. Remember, it's best not to make a vow. Best sometimes not even say a word. Just smile. Like it's for your wife. Amen. But anyway, listen. We ought to enjoy our wealth. We ought to enjoy our possessions, but not more than God. And realize that God gives us everything. God gives us the ability to work. God gives us strength. God gives us health. And it's His portion. He gives you a lovely life if you'll just appreciate it and look through his viewpoint. Look at verse 19. Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth, listen now, and has given him power to eat. How about that? Therefore, and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Amen. Have you ever thought about this? Having an appetite is a gift from God. Amen. You go on a cruise, it's 24-7 eating. They have ice cream machines. They have pizza bars. They have, they have ice cream that you can go get anytime you want to. They have pizza. Then you, go, you got hamburgers and hot dogs anytime. And then they open up these buffets that last for five or six hours. You notice this coat won't button. But I want to say this, folks, God says it's all right to enjoy it. I don't think gluttony is a sin. I'll preach on that next year. But I want to say this, uh, every day God blesses you with an appetite. You know when my wife knows I'm really sick? When I don't eat. <laughs> Amen. She knows, I'm in, she says, I'm taking you to the clinic. I'm taking you to the doctor. I'm taking you to the hospital if you don't eat. Amen. She knows something's wrong. Why? Because that's a sign of health. Amen. But I want to say this, friend, you ought to want to work. You ought to want to, you ought, you ought to, want to rejoice in labor. That is a gift of God. Folks, what I'm trying to say is that Solomon learned the hard way that you need, to, you need to guard against this attitude of complaining, this attitude of being discontent, this attitude of I hate my job and I wish I could just retire. You need to guard against the attitude of the world that everybody's, crooked and corrupt and you need to realize that God's on the throne and God's still able to straighten all this mess out we need to have faith in God we need to trust God with our lives and not worry ourselves to death over all this political jargon and stuff that's going on that breaks my heart let's put everything in God's hand let's start praying for revival for our nation let's start praying for revival for our heart and stop making flippant vows and stop coming to church and wasting a chance to worship the living God. We ought to enjoy whatever God gives us. Now look at verse 19. Accept God's will for your life. Be happy in it. This is the gift of God. Labor, power. Folks, listen. Um, riches, wealth. Every man also to whom God has given riches, and wealth, and, and friend, you don't think you're wealthy, but half of the world's starving tonight. If you've had three meals today, and I'm about to have the third one when I get home, thank God for it. 
If all you got is a bologna sandwich or an egg sandwich when you get home, you ought to thank God for it. Amen. You ought to rejoice over a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Say amen, Brother Andrew. Praise God. We ought to thank God for ketchup and fries. Hallelujah. We ought to thank God for everything that's on our plate, but thank God for every day we have to worship. Thank God for every ounce of Scripture. Thank God for every preaching sermon, every song, every chance we have, because worship changes your life. And wealth will corrupt it if you don't, if you don't watch it. Look at, look at the last verse. It says, For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answered him in the joy of his heart. We need to live day by day, verse 17. We need to realize that even work's a gift from God. We ought to enjoy whatever wealth and possession we get. We ought to accept God's will for our life and be happy in it. We need to focus on that last phrase, the joy of his heart. Life's too short not to have the joy of his heart. What's the joy of God's heart? That you please him by faith. You know, I'll tell you what the joy of his heart is. That every ounce of strength, every, every meal, every blessing that God gives you, he makes you a steward his glory and that God wants you to enjoy what God gives you and not make it a God even work and not worry about the future Matthew chapter 6 is one of wonderful verse verses on not worrying it's a sin to worry and most of us say, oh I don't worry I'm just concerned no you worry I guarantee you worry. And you bring everybody down while you worry. But Matthew chapter 6 tells us there's no need to worry. It says put it in God's hand. And then what he challenges you to do is to put God first. Look at Matthew 6, uh, 25 real quick. Take, therefore, I say unto you. Here it is. I got five minutes. Let you out early. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. That sums up Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Don't worry, be holy. Then you'll be happy. You thought I was going to quote some worldly song, didn't you? Some of y'all was already singing it. Don't worry, be happy, don't worry. If we'd sing scripture like that, we'd be holy. No, don't worry, be holy, and then you'll be happy. Look at this. Listen to this now. Verse 25. Take no thought for your life, what what you eat or what you'll drink, or or yet for your body, what you'll put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than, than they? You don't think God loves you more than a bird? Some people have bird brains, but praise God, we ought to not worry about everything. Amen? Look at verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit into your stature? All you short folk. Worrying about getting taller. What, what, what good is that? Amen. When I landed in Atlanta, uh, we have a family text. That's private where nobody sees it except our family. And, and he put on there, the eagle has landed. Talking about me and Connie. He's trying to be presidential and he's trying to be respectful. And my son, he's got a warped sense of humor, Stephen. 
He said, are you saying that my daddy's a bald eagle? <laughs> you know, and he got all flustered. So I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I knew what he meant. But I want to tell you something, friend. I used to worry about my hair going down the drain. Why worry? Good furniture has marble tops. Amen. Praise God. But look at this. It says, Behold the fowl of the air, for they are not neither. It says, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the valley, how they grow, nor toil not, neither they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, here it is, Ecclesiastes, even Solomon, all his glory was not a rain like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which the day is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now listen to this real quick. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Whether else shall we be clothed? All these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows what you need. But here's the key. This will free you. Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What is that referring to? These things are referring to the preceding verses. The things like raiment, the things like food. It's your needs, not your greeds. Put God first and he'll take care of you. Give to missions and he'll supply your needs for every part of your life. Give to God your life and he'll touch your life and bless your life and multiply your life. And your life will count for something. Look at this. But, seek you, uh, but take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Three times he said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. That's what that means, don't thought. How many people worry about tomorrow? Then it don't come true. So you wasted today on tomorrow. And worrying about the past. You let the past poison the present, the present ruin the future. Because you're worrying about tomorrow. I think it's all right to plan. I believe it's all right to be concerned. I believe you ought to be concerned, especially when the water's turned off and the heat's turned off and the lights are turned off. It's time to get a little concerned. But I want to tell you something, friend. It's a sin to worry about things like this all the time. Because it says, therefore, take no thought for, your, for tomorrow. For tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto day is the evil thereof. 94% of what you worry about don't come true. And the 6% that does come true, you couldn't do anything about it anyway. Now, friend, that doesn't mean you'd be completely neutral and be a mummy and just hide in some cell, I mean, some tomb somewhere. It means that you don't let the world's problems and, and, and the things of corruption and injustice bring you so down that you can't worship tonight and worship in the morning. Folks, when you worship God, you know what you're saying? Lord, you have rightful place of Lord in my life. You're God. See, this worship's not just showing up at church. This worship is an act of submission. God, you're God. You're Lord. You're able to heal my body. You're able to give me grace if you don't heal my body. You're able to give me a place to live, and you're able to, to sustain my testimony. You're able, you're able. You're able to give me energy enough to provide for my family. You're able. Worship leads to work and witnessing in the Spirit. So don't waste your worship. Father.
Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach in the place that I love to preach the most, my home church. Lord, I thank you, dear God, for the privilege of preaching this chapter about the sin of worry and the sin of not worshiping. Lord, help us. Help us not to be covetous in our heart. Help us to guard against that. Help us not get caught up in the injustice and the things of this world that get us all tore up and divided and we say things we shouldn't say. God, help us to keep our vows. God, help us to keep our mouth shut when we need to keep our mouth shut. God, help us to keep an open heart. God, help us to be willing to make some vows because, Lord, you're worthy of every vow we could ever make to you, every promise, every heartbeat's yours. So, Lord, help us tonight to leave here challenged by the truth of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Lord, help us to guard our hearts.